The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcisoservices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment. Bill Butler joins us today. He is a vice president of engineering with a demonstrated history in the hospital and healthcare and security compliance industry and is the VP of engineering and founder of Policy Co. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So I'd like to start as we usually start on the podcast. If you could talk a little bit about how you got into IT, why you got into IT, IT and InfoSec, and just kind of step through your career progression to to the point where uh, you, the why and the how you founded Policy Co. and, and where all that's going. Sure. Uh, well, I stumbled into technology uh, in high school and college. Uh, I'm old, so um, <laughs> we uh, pretty much um, from a, a very young age, I was interested in uh, in just computers, bulletin boards, technology. Uh, bulletin boards, I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah, well, I, like I said, I'm old. Uh, and so uh, we, uh, so with some friends of mine after college, we started up an internet service provider in Nashville. It was called Telelink. And um, <clears throat> really kind of learned trial by fire. Uh, we had a handle on, you know, FTP, Gopher, those sorts of things. And then a web browser came out and we decided, uh, Wow, this is pretty exciting, and, and we ended up uh, bringing a line to Nashville, setting up modems, advertising in the Nashville scene, if you remember that backboard, and gaining customers through that. And so really got a lot of our you know, chops in terms of pipes and Unix systems and that sort of thing at a, at a pretty young age. We were in our early 20s and uh, built a business there and kind of decided and maybe a decade later uh, we, we had some success there and a decade later decided that uh, these things were sort of becoming commoditized uh, with Comcast and these large pipes coming out. And so <clears throat> really, I, I ran two different ISPs and uh, eventually pivoted into software, the software side of things and uh, got into software development, uh, quickly found that healthcare seemed to be in the greatest need of software developers who were doing things that were a little bit more modern in their approach uh, could could do things a little bit faster. So I got involved with a company called um, Advent Health Partners uh, as their uh, VP of engineering and helped them develop a product uh, called Cabo, which services uh, hospitals and, um, and insurance companies and uh, claims adjudication. Uh, but along that path, uh, obviously security became a major concern because we have a lot of patient data, uh, very detailed. So uh, we had HIPAA regulations to, uh, that we needed to be beholden to. <clears throat> uh, SOC 2 became a, a need as well just for uh, business continuity and, um, and high trust. And so the three of those together, you know, it's funny as the VP of engineering, you don't really realize how much you have to start to learn about compliance uh, because if you're a, a new company and you don't have the skill set uh, necessarily you don't have a dedicated resource for uh, compliance it kind of falls on the engineering teams and the IT teams to sort of figure it out at least in the beginning uh, until you have a more mature program so uh, I was uh, along with 
the executives in the company and our product manager, uh, we were heavily involved in executing uh, uh, policies that proved that you know we were being responsible with that data. Uh, you know, information at rest, information in flight, uh, making sure that it was encrypted, uh, making sure that uh, only the right people had access to that data. So uh, kind of a crash course uh, about seven or eight years ago into understanding how to secure data, understanding how to write policy, run those by attorneys um, and other professionals, uh, understanding of how to build procedures. And as we did this, it became evident that there just weren't many tools to help with this. There's Word, there's Excel spreadsheets, uh, there's email, there's Dropboxes to put, uh, you know, to put artifacts in, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But it became very difficult to migrate from our baseline, which was HIPAA, right, which doesn't have a lot of guidance. It kind of says, hey, these things are important and you figure out how to do it for yourself. But we found that our policies became pretty ugly pretty quickly as we added on SOC 2 or as we added on high trust. Uh, there's a lot of duplication of language across these policies. So this whole idea of being able to have a single policy that is that can reference outside frameworks, right? Like HIPAA high trust, uh, you may have uh, governmental, you know, HIPAA is a good example of something that's handed down by the government, whereas SOC 2 and, and high trust are more independent. And so, um, yeah, that's really in a nutshell kind of my, um, how I went from uh, software development and architecture into compliance and the struggles that I sort of faced early on with that. I think it's so interesting sometimes when hearing these stories that there are so many, um, particularly of us who are, who are a little bit older, that, that we kind of fell into security in a way. Or in my case, I think I was dragged into it kicking and screaming because <laughs> I didn't want to well, do it. I'm a networking person myself. but Yeah, so um, we're, we're of the same cloth in that respect. <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, um, so standard question, I always like to ask people because I want to get their opinion, is what would you think would be right now and it seems like that the threat environment is constantly changing, but what would be uh, one significant threat to small and mid-sized businesses as far as cybersecurity is concerned? I feel like social engineering and phishing is the number one. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the easiest attack vector. Mm -hmm. um, the, the ability to obtain somebody's credentials and, uh, you know, the, 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 only, uh, the only good uh, well, that plus uh, the MFA hacks that you're seeing uh, with mm -hmm. SMS and text messaging, because it's really easy to tell a Verizon representative that, uh, hey, my SIM card's wrong. And uh, if you just have the code to get, you know, whatever that security code is, the four digits or six digits that you give to Verizon, uh, if an attacker has that because they've socially engineered you, they can now uh, move that SIM card to their phone. Uh, they can receive your MFA uh, text if you're using that instead of, a, you know, a, a, an authenticator. Uh, and um, now they have access to everything, even your MFA, which I consider to be really a, a solid uh, way to secure your resources. Uh, they can then have free reign to everything. So in my mind, uh, 2FA over SMS is the single greatest uh, 
threat, uh, the, the idea that people think that that's safe. Right. I would agree, too. And you mentioned social engineering and phishing. And uh, curious, um, with the with the proliferation of artificial intelligence, I'm thinking chat GPT right now, we're starting to see that being used to um, create and enhance phishing campaigns. You see you see some sort of an issue with with there that this is just going to get worse. I uh, couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, there are there are people who are forming relationships with AIs. As, as crazy as that may seem, you have people who, uh, uh, you know, may not uh, have a broad social network and they begin to interact with AIs in ways where that AI knows who they are. Um, and they essentially have a relationship, for lack of a better word, uh, with this. And there's really nothing stopping from uh, a bad player from, from using that. A, you know, against somebody and then and then being able to use that information to for financial gain or whatever they like. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I, one I hadn't considered, I did uh, this past Friday, I did a um, on the on the wrap up episode, one of the articles that talked about was about knowing the identity of of the type of identity of the thing that you're interacting with. And so you had these three, you had carbon based units, which, you know, going back to Star <laughs> Trek, that's us, you know, right. Um, you have silicon, which would be things like the phone. And then you have artificial intelligence, which could basically mask themselves as just about every anything. Um, and it, it, I think it's a, a, a serious concern. And, and I want to pivot. Now, we talked a little bit about compliance and policies and all that. I want to pivot a little bit towards um, I sometimes think that anything artificial intelligence related is going to be something that we have to look at from a policy perspective for all organizations, whether it's high, uh, you know, large organizations or small. Um, since policies are your strong point here, what are your thoughts on that? Do we, do we need to, do we need to really call out stuff like, chat GPT and other AI platforms in corporate policies? You know, I haven't uh, put a lot of time and effort into that angle. Uh, we, we are looking right now at having chat GPT write procedures and uh, kind of the, the meaningful tasks. What, what I've sort of discovered through chat GPT and is may, maybe not the definitive guide, but I feel like the people who know how to ask the best questions are going to be able to harness ChatGPT the best. You know, we've we've taken advantage. We we take it for granted the fact that we have uh, have had calculators for 40, 50 years. I, you know, it's probably longer than that. But essentially, we we don't really care what too large what the answer to two large numbers are. I mean, we don't have to write that out. We haven't had to write that out for years. Uh, but we do have to know what numbers to put into the equation in order to get the correct answer. And I really feel like ChatGPT is the, it's the, uh, the language equivalent of a calculator. Now, now, of course, numbers we can verify. We know that we could go back and check to see if those two numbers are, are true or not. When you get into language, it's a little more esoteric, you know, determining what the truth is or, or which facts are the right facts. And, and one thing about ChatGPT, I've got a little bit of a tangent here, sorry, but uh, one thing about ChatGPT is when it's wrong, it's confidently wrong. <laughs> and, so, and so it becomes very difficult to, uh, to, to 
figure out, well, do I accept that or not? It, it still needs human involvement <clears throat> to solve the problem. Uh, I'm not sure I have a great answer. I, I would say the answer is a yes, we do need policy uh, around interaction with, uh, with ChatGPT, but uh, I, I haven't put much thought into what that would be. I haven't either. I'm just starting to think about that um, because I think that that it's something I think that needs to be addressed. And to your point, yeah, it, it the asking of the questions is is critical. Garbage in, garbage out applies whether you're talking about numbers or or questions. I, I would suppose. But um, what does uh, I'm kind of stuck on the policy thing. So let's go back to policy. Yeah. Though. What what do you what 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 is like if you were to give a um, succinct description on how you help small and mid-sized businesses with policy co what, what would that be and and are you limited just to healthcare or are we talking across the broad spectrum of uh, business verticals yeah well obviously healthcare is where i started um with this but we quickly realized that this is a common problem across healthcare across banking across uh uh, really, any company that needs to maintain policy and, and needs to make sure that their policy uh, either follows federal regulations, state regulations, that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just had a lot of problems early on looking at policy as a linear document, right? This idea that uh, that policy is a page of data doesn't quite fit because each paragraph in a policy speaks to a slightly different concept. You know, you may have a policy that generally talks about networking, but there's a lot of aspects of networking that uh, you need to make sure you cover. And so trying to footnote pieces of regulations in various paragraphs of a policy is a problem because it's, it's, it's not relational, right? Um, the minute you need to try to reference that in some way, uh, try to reference, let's say you're looking at, um, at SOC 2 and you've got a certain, um, you've got a certain control in SOC 2. If you just footnote it in your Word document, it's not really a living document. Um, you can't get to the definition of that. You can't, um, also it becomes very difficult to, uh, to, uh, handle like a, uh, a situation where you've got, um, <laughs> sorry, my brain just, uh, it, it becomes very difficult to handle a situation where uh, you may have more than one control linked to a given article, or you may have uh, you know, a many-to-many -many relationship of these things. Mm -hmm. And also when the auditor comes along, if you can't present the information by flipping the hierarchy to what the auditor cares about, then you're, you have a really, you have a huge presentation problem. So, you know, for example, an auditor might come and ask you about a suite of SOC controls, and now you're stuck in a situation of delivering all the policies to them and having them search for those SOC controls across your policies. Well, it's a lot more efficient instead to uh, present uh, the SOC controls in order and then reference the articles that those are in, the policies those are in, the procedures that relate to those, and the evidence and control tests that relate to those. So by creating a relational structure, you, uh, you, uh, you just make it easier across the board. Do you, do you do that by creating 
Okay, so I'm 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 going to take an example. I'm kind of kind of stuck on. Let's just say we're talking um, SOC two and HIPAA high trust. So so in order to meet HIPAA, this group wants to be high trust certified. They're going to go and get a high trust audit um, against the high trust CSF. I think I have that right. And and you have they're already SOC two. Um, they've had their attestation for SOC two. Um, it you're almost like duplicating everything with each of the auditors independently unless you have some sort of a um, merge between the two. I think that's what you're talking about as far as the relationship goes. Um, from a simplistic level, I always think about controls in that sense, not like SOC 2 and high trust controls, but corporate controls that if written correctly um, can, can, can map to each of those frameworks. Is that pretty much where you're going that's sort of an idea or am i off base yeah yeah you, you say corporate controls i call them articles but some people call them internal controls and external controls right a SOC 2 might be an external control and then your internal controls you refer to it might be your policy on that so a good example is you know information at rest right we, we have a commitment as an organization that all information uh, regardless is always encrypted at rest mm -hmm. so high trust has a number of uh, controls that speak to that SOC 2 has a number of controls that speak to that. HIPAA has federal regulations that speak to that. So, you know, build your single internal control, that article, um, once with your broad intent and then link SOC, link high trust, uh, link uh, HIPAA to anything that relates to that, to that one article. So now what you've done is you've, you've sort of normalized your language so that it is all encompassing for the various um, frameworks. And then if later you wanna become NIST certified, well, NIST has some things you could link to that too. And it might require a slight change to your internal control to also adhere to NIST, but now you're only managing one internal control to right. adhere to all the external controls, right? So how does PolicyCo help with this regard? Because I, I, I will say, having done the virtual CISO stuff for some time now, and um, prior to that in corporate environments, we, we were always beholden to more than one. What, what's the secret sauce? I mean, not without getting into secrets, but, but, but what, is, yeah. what is the benefit? How, how does it work? Well, step one is stop using Microsoft Word and Google Docs to, <laughs> to, to craft your policies because they're not the appropriate tool. Not because they're bad tools. They, I, I, I use them all the time. But you can't. Uh, but you can't connect things. Um, so that's step one is to, and, and then also you really need a champion within the organization that understands the nature of this problem. Because I remember very clearly when I first got into writing policy, I didn't, if someone had pitched me on the idea of policy co, uh, when I first started writing, I would have said, well, I can just put this in Word documents, not a problem. But any company that uh, even becomes remotely complex, uh, they don't realize the problems they're going to face until they get into the problem. And especially when you start adding a secondary framework, right? If you just have HIPAA and that's all you're ever gonna do, then eh, put it in Word, that's fine. Um, but if, if you need to normalize your policy across unknown future potential regulations requirements, then uh, you, you really need a framework to do that. So, um, so yeah, step one is think of policy as articles, not as policy or internal controls, as you state. 
Um, it's really important that for each article you have an audit trail. Uh, I'm going to edit this article. I'm going to have it reviewed by a manager. I'm going to approve that article. Okay, great. Now you've, you've, you've distilled this down to something very manageable at the article level. Now let's look at all those approved articles that have happened in, say, the last month, and let's pull them together, and let's come out with a release candidate for that policy. All right, now we have a release candidate. Board can look at it if they need to. Manager and any other uh, stakeholders can look at it. Then we can set a release date. It doesn't have to be today. It could be for two months from now um, to say that this is going to be you know, our new truth uh, in two months. And then also that release gets, uh, gets stamped. Uh, it's, it's, it's in stone, right? No one could go back and edit it. Uh, there's a very clear auditable process of who did what when. And, you know, I, as a developer, th this rings very true, right? When we, when we release new code for a website, <clears throat> we write that code. It goes into Git, GitHub. Um, Git looks at the differences. There are approvals. There are people who make sure that it's good, and then it's released. So the idea is sort of a it's a it's a soft approach to a software release process, right? It's we obviously none of the difficult commands or those sorts of things, but something that is uh, a very clear that people can see. Okay, this is what we did. This is why we did it. This is when we did it. Would it benefit a business? Let's just say you have a business that's starting. They don't really have a really mature security program yet. They, they've got the basics of it. They kind of know what's confidential and what isn't. They have some practices, but nothing, nothing really documented. And they're thinking about, well, at some point in time, we might want to do a SOC, uh, SOC 2. It, would it make sense for them, instead of to write their, I'm going to use your nomenclature here, their articles directly relevant to the SOC 2, that they make it maybe a little bit more high level with the idea that down the road they may also want to, um, you know, if they take credit cards, for example, they may they may want to be PCI compliant as well, too, and, and be audited. Uh, definitely. You know, um, HITRUST recently uh, said, hey, if your policies are basically just a regurgitation of our controls, we have a problem with that. So uh, it, it really is just not good form to write your policies strictly to the control framework that you're trying to adhere to. Um, so yeah, definitely. Very good. And that's, that's what I've always thought as well too. So, but um, I know that there are some organizations where they'll just take the, like you said, they'll take high trust, they'll kind of massage it around a little bit and that's their policy right there. Mm -hmm. Well, I know from experience being a small business owner and myself and also having been in cyber and IT for a few years, we won't say how many, but it's been a few. <laughs> it's okay. Um, you have to sometimes step away and there are healthy ways to step away and there are sometimes unhealthy ways to step away. But I think you, you need to step away. Otherwise, the most unhealthy thing that you can do is just be having this churn in your head 24 by 7 by 365. Um, Bill, what's one of the things that you, you do to decompress and get away from the stresses of cyber? Yeah, well, you know, in the middle of the day, if I have a break between meetings, I'll, I'll take 30 minutes to practice bass. I call it my COVID instrument. I, I picked it up at the beginning of COVID. I've been playing guitar for a long time, but, uh, and I'm average, average to below average guitar player, but, um, I decided that I, I tend to listen to the bass line in songs and, uh, I needed to, to 
pursue it. So I've been playing for and practicing pretty aggressively for about the last two or three years now. And uh, it's, it's nice. That's a, you know, 30, 45 minute break in the middle of the day just to just to clear my head. Is um, that is that your base behind you there, sticking out above is. your shoulder? Yeah, yeah, ah, just, a stand, okay. just a standard P base. So nothing, it's actually like fancy. right there, so that like if yeah, you want yeah. to start diddling on it, you can. Just now, pick see, it up. And, yeah, I I I, I taught myself um, rhythm guitar on, on an acoustic and also a little electric, like like many many moons ago. And I haven't I haven't played in in ages, but I keep on telling myself that maybe if I just bring it here. And put it where the stuffed dog is and get the stuffed dog out of the way there. You know, it's like it'll be right behind my shoulder and then I'd have the impetus to go and work on it. But I know it's, it's a, like, I don't know. If it's a great idea. Yeah, it's a yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is it? The road to somewhere is paved with great ideas and great intentions or whatever. It's like, you know, I just haven't seemed to get around to it. So. All right. Well, wonderful. Um, future plans uh, either for you, for music, for Policy Co um yeah policy co we're just building uh organically slowly uh adding features as people need it are we're coming out with attestations here which is uh something that's been uh, requested by a lot of clients so uh, this is the ability when you release a policy to gather signatures track those signatures um and in terms of uh me personally i you know i'm i'm definitely interested in uh, any any type of uh, technology that helps, uh, you know, make the planet a better place. Um, very interested in, um, in uh, delivery of water, uh, desalinization, uh, and just general, just interesting, unique technologies that uh, take things that we've done in the past and sort of flip them on their head and say, oh, well, you know, look at the types of efficiencies we can get by doing the same things we've been doing, but in a slightly different way. So. That sounds like a very deep question for chat GPT-4. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what should I do? <laughs> well, very good. Listen, Bill, it's been amazing. I've totally enjoyed our conversation. Fascinating stuff. I wish that we had more time to talk about Policy Co. Um, but before I drop, what's the website? Where can they go to learn more? Uh, yeah, policyco.io. That's pretty easy. to Even I can remember that. So, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody, stay secure. <laughs>